Um, I don't know. I just, I just think it's, you know, a lot of people see the end result and they just think it was easy and, you know, and now you're some rich jerk who just has a bunch of money and it's so easy for you, but it, it's not like that at all. And the more people I, I talk to and, and learn from, the more they've all had a hard time. And so if you're in the middle of a hard time, uh, you're not alone. I mean, everybody either is there or has been there. I just went through two, two and a half years of crap, uh, co-founders quitting, CFO quitting, all, all the sales team quitting. I mean, as about as dark as you could get, even 16, 17 years into this, where you think I would have a pretty good understanding of how to run a business. A business is hard. Welcome to the Habits to Goals podcast with Martin Grunberg. It's time to take control of your life. Are you ready to achieve goals faster and more consistently than ever before? You need the habit factor. You're listening to Habits to Goals, the podcast that helps you create the habits that lead to success. And here is Martin Grunberg. All right, H2G listeners, Habits to Goals podcast listeners. We've done many an interview, and I have a great feeling about this one. <laughs> we have a very special guest. I joke that he is a super entrepreneur. Many of you are familiar with supermodels, and while he could be that too, this guy is truly a super entrepreneur. Mr. John Carter, how are you doing today? Marty, doing good. It's good to see you, bud. It's great to have you in the studio. It's a nice studio. <laughs> I like Thanks it. for uh, working with the accommodations. Um, let me give you some quick background here first. Not you, John, but about John. This is a man, and correct me if I'm wrong, who at 26-ish sold not his first company, but a company, retired, at least temporarily. And again, that was at 26. And I think the best part of the story is he was featured on Fortune Small Business. I think that's correct. Is that's that right. correct? Yeah, you got it. So this is the best part, though. What were you doing on the cover? <laughs> I think I was half naked holding my surfboard uh, <laughs> in Del Mar, you know, just board shorts. And they were trying to make it all about, you know, can you sell your company and sail off in the sun and surf all day? And so that was that was the photo shoot. That's right. And it's a an epic photo. So I'm going to tie somehow. I'm going to I'm going to link that photo or get that photo and associate it with this podcast. You want to hear one of the funny things? about? Yes, that I do. Magazine? Absolutely. So um, I actually didn't know I was going to be on the cover. And I just sold my business, I think, like 30 days before. And I just hadn't happened to see my parents yet. And my mom, when I first started that business, it made pretty good money from day one. We'll talk about the earlier business, which was a complete flop. But this one was actually pretty successful. And I had to you know, buy a new car. And I came home one day to see my mom. She lives about an hour and a half north in, in Orange County. And I, I went up there to see her. And she's like, how do you have a new car already? Your <laughs> other business has just failed. 
<laughs> and I'm like, well, this business is actually doing really well. And she she thought I was selling drugs. She thought she couldn't figure out. I how can't I, imagine why she would think that. <laughs> <laughs> Could have been my lifestyle as a young kid, but uh, she she thought I was just uh, you know doing something illegal or something to that effect. And and for four years while I ran that business, she sort of believed I was doing legit things, <laughs> but she sort of didn't. And that magazine actually her school she's a teacher at a school she was and in the teacher's lounge where they get the donuts and everything else that magazine was sitting on the counter and i hadn't told my mom that i'd sold my business yet and one of the teachers is like reading it, it says john carter sells no his business way. for xyz and she's like isn't that your son isn't that no john no way <laughs> on the i went to that same school and yeah my mom looks down and she's like what and she was uh, really happy, obviously, but really proud and finally believed that I didn't sell drugs for a living. <laughs> so, nice. so a couple thoughts about this. First of all, it's probably the coolest, uh, even knowing him aside, it's probably the coolest magazine cover I think <laughs> I've ever seen. So we're going to back up a sec because I want to go back to the early days. But before I do that, we always kick the show off with a GTR. You know what the GTR is? No. <laughs> it's a good, good, <laughs> good thing. He looked panicked. Good things report. <laughs> good it's things a report. good things go. report. It's something great that happened today, yesterday, last week, something you want to share. It could be business related, personal related, um, family, whatever. You, what, you, what you got? <laughs> you know, I, I think about two weeks ago, something really cool happened. Um, and I didn't really know at the time that, 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 you know, it was kind of meaningful, but, but it is, uh, what happened was my business got to a point where enough good things had happened where I sort of hit that threshold where I was like, this business is, is going to make it. Wow. And at the time I just got really excited. It was just one of those days where everything was falling together. And for the last couple of months, things had fallen together. And that was after two, two and a half <laughs> years of dark, dark times. <laughs> Where things just weren't, you know, weren't happening. We were in the, in, the, in the middle of a pivot as a business and it just took a while to get this new business going. And I kind of realized like, wow, we're, we're actually going to make it. This is going to be exciting. And I remember I sent an email to the board, you know, they haven't seen as much as I have. So they're still probably in the, you know, in the phases, you know, where I was maybe two months ago, but, but I know it's going to make it. And it's interesting. I was listening to another podcast <laughs> yesterday. I was on a run and I was listening to a podcast by Cascade. Do you know who Cascade no. is? So he's like a world-class DJ, probably one of the best. I think he was the best for a while. He probably still is right up there. Right. And he says one of his favorite times in his life was when like a couple of years into kind of his DJ career, he goes to this club, he plays, it's not a big club by, by any means in today's standards, but he walks out and there was a line out the door and the show went great. And he's like, you know what? I think, I think I'm going to make it as a DJ. <laughs> and I wow. was like, wow, that just happened to me like two weeks ago. And it's, it's a pretty exciting time when you get there. And he had struggled for years to reach that sort of tipping point where in his brain, he was like, this is going to work. And, and that, that happened to me on, on my current biz a couple of weeks ago. And it's, it's fun when that happens. It feels good. And usually that comes after many years of struggle. So it feels <laughs> really, really good when it hits. Wow. So, and there's a couple of things we want to go to. We want to get into the current business. We also want to go back and kind of back to the beginning. That is a nice segue, though, for my GTR. I'm not sure I'm going to, quote, unquote, make it. Uh, <laughs> but I will say, and yeah, I think I was it. telling you that this second season of the podcast, in its first week, did half as many 
downloads, if this makes sense, as the prior month. So it's off yep. to a fantastic start. And I'm going to sneak in another GTR, which I shouldn't do, <laughs> which is related yeah. to my the, – the listeners have heard this before. I talk about – my daughters and their soccer. I was going to say, your daughter's <laughs> soccer is killing it on Facebook. Like, yeah, it's like she's yeah, yeah. All so, so and- uh, one daughter, I'm coaching this weekend in school playoffs, and she has an opportunity to do what her sister did two years earlier, which is beat the eighth grade girl. She's in seventh Whoa. grade in the in the championships or the playoffs. So that's pretty cool. We'll see. I don't want to jinx it. Did you do? Did you do like the holdback thing? Like Malcolm Gladwell was talking about. Well, no, yeah, actually yeah. we did. Yes, yeah. with the hockey players. So that yes. Works, right? yes. 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 Uh, I'll remind me to revisit that listener because I think we just lost a few people. But yes, <laughs> it was this idea of hockey players and outliers. Um, the other daughter in uh, two or three weeks is going to be in Vegas. She's only 15 and they're playing in something called the College Showcase, oh. which is ridiculous. That sounds fancy. All right. So here we are with John Carter. Like I said, super entrepreneur. You can already tell. Uh, I think you've already got a taste of what's in store. So let's back up, Johnny, and take me to this place where, like, what the hell were you thinking? What made you think you could start a business? Wasn't the first business something called, like, Baby's Heaven or something yeah. like that? T- tell us how that went. Sure. In in a few minutes. Absolutely. So I guess, well, I'll start just back in history. You know, as as entrepreneurs, I think if you've ever had these signals when you were a kid, like I used to, you know, on the magazine drive, I used to stay out till like midnight running through the streets and knocking on doors and trying to get people to buy a magazine. You know, crazy amounts of magazines were sold. And I think I got like a $10 radio and I, I couldn't have been happier. Uh, sold golf balls out of the gutter. You know, I had all these like little mini businesses along the way. Uh, one was actually I got in trouble by the cops. I was selling hot dogs <laughs> at, the, at the end of my driveway. Hot dogs. My parents would buy these big jumbo bags of them and I would, you know, microwave hot dogs and sell them for like a buck and put signs all over the neighborhood. People actually bought that. It's shocking to think back. I mean, Excuse me. Who would buy a microwave? Uh, hot dog, but but they did. But then a then a cop came. <laughs> Apparently, you have to have a food license to sell microwave hot dogs. I think that's true. And uh, I think the cop made me cry actually, but uh, he didn't arrest me, so I was so it was good. So there was a bunch of those along the way, and but it, but I didn't know that I was being entrepreneurial. I didn't even really. I don't think I'd ever even heard that word. I just was kind of hustling as a kid, and I just kind of wanted to make you know, some money. We grew up sort of middle, lower middle class. Like we were okay. We got by. What part of the world? Um, A a city called Placentia. Okay. Originally Michigan, a (laughs) suburb of Detroit called Southfield, Michigan, very small town. And then we moved to California, which was a big deal for the family. We were like counting palm trees for the first year. (laughs) Um, And the nice weather was great. But, but, you know, never had a lot of money. Mom was a school teacher. Dad was a, worked at a church as a family marital counselor. And so I just kind of was always hustling to just make some extra money so I could buy things like baseball cards and stuff like that. It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't until I was, um, well, I was 18. I actually remember the moment where I decided to become an entrepreneur. It was, I was surfing at the time. I just learned how to surf. We lived about 30 minutes inland. So I didn't get to surf a lot, but once I got my license, I would go down to the beaches whenever I could. And, and I was sitting out there one day, actually in Newport and, I remember there was a lull. There was no waves coming in. I looked back, just kind of sitting there, like kind of bored. And I looked back at the shore and 
as far as the eye can see in Newport and really just about any beach <laughs> in, in the California. world, in California especially, but you're really all over like any beach. There's just these gorgeous, beautiful mansions that are worth millions and millions of dollars. And there were so many, I couldn't even fathom how many there were. I mean, it was just like this, you know, abundance. I think that's the first time that the world, I saw the world as a place of abundance. Wow. And I was like, this is, there's so much to be had out here. Like, what, what is everybody what, doing? What are they doing <laughs> yeah. to get that house? Right. It's exactly right. I was like, what is all these people doing that, you know, my parents aren't? And, you know, kudos to, <laughs> kudos to my parents for being teachers and, you know, family marital counselors. Those are amazing jobs and impact people's lives in very positive ways. Uh, but I wanted to have the house on the beach and I wanted right. to get, to get to that spot. And, and ultimately we'll probably get to this later in the podcast. I think doing a business for money is absolutely the wrong motivation. It will actually lead to a lot of challenges in business, but at the time I didn't know any better. And so really my motivation was I want one of those houses on the beach. I want to be able to walk out my front door and surf. That is a dream come true. And I decided I was going to start a business because I figured that that was what most of the people did. Um, and I think it probably is what a lot of them did. There's also a lot of <laughs> high level executives sure, sure, sure. and things like that. But yeah, that was the, that was the motivation. And I think I was maybe, I think, I think I was actually 17 and it was about two years later that I started the first company. And what was that called again? So the first company was called Baby's Heaven. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, what was the, diapers. <laughs> the insight where you're like, this is it. This is what I want to do. What problem were you solving? Yeah. So Keep in mind, I'd wanted to start a business since that surf time. I went out to college that next year, and I was just kind of thinking about... What school about was this? Point Loma, okay. Nazarene. Nazarene. Okay. Yeah. Very conservative religious school, as I said. My dad worked at a church. <laughs> Perfect. I didn't really fit in very well with that with that conservative mindset. But uh, I was working this odd job while I was at college at a swap meet called Kobe Swap Meet down, you know, down here in San Diego. And... Um, I was working at the swap, and I can't actually take credit for my first idea because it was like this old wise dude that gave me the idea. He was sitting there. We used to just chat it up. My job at the swap meet was to pass out flyers <laughs> for a hamburger place across the street. Okay. And I'd pass out all these flyers, get people to go buy hamburgers across the street. And I talked to this old old man who sat in front, <laughs> and I told him I want to start a business. You know, And I'm like, oh, I'm thinking of a great idea. And one day he just goes, have you noticed all these, you know, pregnant women and women with babies going into the swap meet? Nobody sells any baby related products here. Unreal. And I was like, oh, it's genius. Like, I'm totally going to buy a baby product. <laughs> just some random old meet. guy. Just some <laughs> random old dude. I owe, I owe my life to this guy. Right. And, uh, random and, old And guy. actually, it was actually a crappy idea. So maybe I don't <laughs> owe him very much. But <clears throat> I went out. I went. I went. I didn't know where to buy baby products. And I didn't have any money. So. Back in those days in college, you could get a credit card just by um, going up and filling out, you know, a form sure. basically at these little tables all over the college campus. So I got a couple of credit cards <laughs> for like three grand. And, and, and then, your, your plan was to sell diapers to people at the swap? That's meet? right. Okay. I just want to <laughs> clarify. Good. No, it really is that bad of an idea. <laughs> no, that's not that bad. <laughs> it's pretty bad. So we went, then I didn't know how to buy baby products because, right. you know, I couldn't just buy them at the grocery store and sell them there. So I was looking for like a distributor. <laughs> I kid you not, I saw a truck driving down the street and it said, you know, distribution. And it had right. all these things listed below, like what they sell. And one of the things was baby products. So I go, I, I get the number. I go to this sketchy warehouse in the middle of like the ghetto and there's this giant warehouse full of like dusty baby wipes and other things. Like it literally everything had dust on it. Like right. it hadn't been bought in a long time. And it was like 10 or 15% below what you'd pay at Ralph's. It was not cheaper, uh, that much cheaper. But anyways, I bought, you know, a thousand dollars worth of whatever. I went to the swap meets and I started selling baby products. It, 
and it was a complete failure. I mean, I think I sold like $40 worth of baby products and the swap meet cost $40 for a ticket to, to sell your wares. Got there. It. So I lost money, uh, the first week and I wasted my Saturday and I wasn't working for the hamburger place. <laughs> so it was anymore. a triple, triple loss. Yes. I wasn't making that money. <laughs> and so it was a disaster. And I remember actually by the second weekend, <clears throat> I was running out of money. I needed to, cause I was making all my money on the weekends before. And I almost gave up and almost, you know, almost went bankrupt in two weeks. Uh, you know, basically, I, I mean, I don't think I had, I didn't have any debt, so I wouldn't have been right. bankruptcy, but I was definitely about to close up shop and I was all depressed. I was talking to my buddy and he's like, dude, what are you doing selling baby products? The swap meet, you should sell baby products on the internet. And I was like, you know, this is like 2000. So the internet's already been a big boom. And, uh, I was clueless. So my parents, you know, they sent me to college with a with a typewriter. Right. Believe it or not, I mean, it had that little digital screen on it, but Got but it. it wasn't a computer. And the only way you could get it to <laughs> access to the internet was through the you know library. And I I didn't really ever go to the library. So you didn't have a computer, and yep. you got a buddy saying you should sell these on the internet. That's right. Your your inventory that That's you right. that you use credit cards <laughs> yeah. to buy. Okay. I still had a ton of baby great, products. Great. Great. Uh, to sell. So he said, look, he said, you know, I'll build you a website. <laughs> Wow. And I was like, this is great. He's like, you know, it cost you 300 bucks. I literally had 300 bucks to my name. <laughs> I just gave it all to him. And it's kind of funny looking back. So he builds this website, but the dude is, he's a, he's not a web designer. He's in a heavy metal band and he just happens <laughs> to build websites, right. you know, for fun. And so I kid you not, he builds baby's heaven. The whole background is black. The baby's heaven letters are purple. Oh, wow. <laughs> they look like Metallica. <laughs> right. It's like the worst. It's like the sketchiest baby site you've ever seen. And th then there's this like gold <laughs> gate that is the entrance. Says, you got to have a screenshot of that. Oh, it's so cool. I wish I did. Maybe oh, it's no. on like the Wayback Machine or something. <clears throat> and wow. it's, uh, and that was the, that was how it started. I mean, you'd actually like click on the golden gate and then would open like all and, creepy and, and then it would be like diapers and baby formula. So, <laughs> so that gets it going. And then fast forward a little. What, what, <laughs> what made it? Looked like it was going to be a huge success, and then what derailed it? <laughs> yeah. I think I know those stories, but let's <laughs> let's share that for sure. the audience. So, so at first, nobody came to the website, and it was so <laughs> ugly. I, I don't really blame anybody, but um, one of my other neighbors. So I was just asking everybody for advice, and this guy I met, he was like, "What you got to do on the internet is go find other websites that aren't competitive." And ask them if they'll link to your website so, so you can get traffic and get consumers coming in. Otherwise, nobody links to you. Nobody's going to know you're there. So I'm like, okay. So not knowing any better, I went to Huggies because diapers was our number one seller at the swap meet, meaning you we went sold like to Huggies, two. like website. Like went to their website and just emailed and they had like an email. At the and bottom. they weren't selling their own. They don't sell their own. They only sell by the truckload. Wow. So I went there and I was like, hey, I sell individual diapers. You know, our smaller boxes, at least, would you be interested in linking to me? And, and they actually responded back. This is like, you know, again in 2000. So I'm sure times have changed, but they're like, yeah, sure. Send us a banner. So oh I'm God. like, woo, I'm all excited. I go back to my web designer. I'm like, dude, what's what a banner? <laughs> I got to make a banner. Huggy wants a banner. He's like, oh yeah, I'll build you one. So we build this little banner and I send it off to him and they put it up on the website and we get our first sale. Unreal. You know, maybe like 30 minutes later. And it was one of those moments, kind of like we were talking about earlier today. I was so excited by the fact that we'd gotten our first sale. And I didn't by any means realize that my business would make it. But I just saw the first signs of traction. And right. it was so exciting. 
I ran out into the streets and I was like screaming and hooting and getting all my neighbors involved. And I <laughs> sold a diaper. And it was actually like a pretty big order, like 300 bucks worth of diapers. That's amazing. And that really kind of, <clears throat> you know, kicked it off. <clears throat> so what I love about that real quickly is you continue to like seek, like you'd run into a problem you would ask people, you'd get advice, you you wouldn't necessarily take the first thing, but you just kept evolving and changing and trying new things. So Mostly so then desperation. But but whatever. I mean <laughs> that, amazing that, problem that solving, amazing perseverance. So then you get it to a point where at at its at its peak, what what's its annual sales? Like a million or we were we actually <coughs> grown. So what happened is that got me kickstarted into it, and then I started right. looking for other people to link and started learning about internet marketing, right. spending all my times in forums, and really becoming uh, like quickly becoming an expert on internet marketing. And back mm. in those days, there wasn't a lot of great internet marketers, <laughs> and so you could just own the search engines, like you know, pay per click. Search engines back then were like a penny. This is like go-to right. before it became Overture and eventually, you know, Google copied it. Um, so so I learned a lot about that, started driving in a ton of traffic, and then we started expanding outside of baby products. I learned that you could drop ship products from, from people. So we started selling office products and clothing and electronics, all kinds of crazy things. Wow. And the company grew to about $2 million, uh, $2 million in, in annual revenue, like by the end of its first year. So it was in going its first year. Nuts up. Yeah. And so wow. you know, we wanted to be Amazon, but just like smarter, <laughs> like smarter marketers. Cause we used, even back then, Amazon was like kind of, we looked at it as one of like those not very good at internet marketing, sure. but they just had this massive brand and so much traffic. So we were kind of cleaning up on the search engines. And then I made one fatal flaw that killed the deal because <laughs> everything else was going really well. I'd become great at marketing, but I was really bad at customer service. Ooh. And so what happened was, I think we had like 15 employees or something at the time. I hired all my friends. At first, everybody was in my little one bedroom in Ocean Beach, you know, right. like pulled around the walls. <laughs> and then we finally got a little 600 square foot place. And uh, I couldn't afford, you know, a customer service person because even though we were, we were tracking to do 2 million, our revenue was, we were basically spending every dollar we had on marketing and we were never really profitable and we never really had money in the bank. Um, <laughs> in fact, in fact, you know those overdraft charges for 35 bucks that you get yep. from Wells Fargo? We had, uh, I believe it was something like five, or no, 12, no, $12,000 in overdraft charges oh. in, in, uh, in our full year. So like it was going <laughs> negative like multiple times a day because we would, we get orders in and then we would pay for marketing and ship products. Right. And like I probably didn't mark my products up enough. There was, there was some mistakes obviously made on the cash flow, but the biggest mistake. <laughs> yeah. Was, I'm was, totaling right now. I'm at four. <laughs> the biggest one is cash like, flow. <laughs> I hired my girlfriend and by hired, I mean, I got her to work for free to run customer That's the service. most expensive. Oh, it, it cost <laughs> me a fortune. Right. So, and this is, so this is kind of funny. My girlfriend at the time was Spanish. Very passionate woman, very fiery. Remember, and she, she, she could hear this. <laughs> <laughs> she would admit this. And, uh, you know, it's one of the things I really actually liked about her. But <laughs> but then on the flip side, you've got most of our products that we sold were still baby products. That was always our biggest category. And so you have pregnant women on one side of the line and you have a fiery Spanish, you know, girlfriend of mine oh, on the no, other side. And what would happen combustible. is like UPS oh, would geez. like damage the cribs in, in transit, right? And the, these moms who would order these cribs or strollers or whatever would be, you know, due in weeks. And so they needed that product right away. So it was very urgent, very important. So they would call up like, 
what happened? You know, you sent my crib, right. you know, it's all broken. And, and the people, you know, it wasn't our fault. It was UPS fault. And, but that doesn't matter, right? That <laughs> it's we your should, fault, right? We should have taken care of it. Well, my girlfriend didn't have that same <laughs> philosophy. She was like, don't you yell at me? I don't need to listen to you. <laughs> and she was just like so rude back to him. And I would literally hear the two of them, like they would start all mellow and then it would get louder and louder. And pretty soon I could hear screaming on both sides oh, of the man. phone. And then she would just like hang up on the, on the customer. And I, and I remember being like, just totally freaked out. But instead of fixing it, I would just go back and be like, I need to market more, need to market more. And I just go back and, you know, build more marketing links or whatever. Oh, wow. And it was, well, uh, that's a good lesson. So great marketing cannot make up for poor customer service. Absolutely. I mean, wow. You have to take care of the customer 100% and you got to focus on it. And if as a CEO, that's not your passion or what you're good at or what you enjoy doing, you, you've got to have somebody. Who, who does? Because it's so critical, and we didn't we didn't you know take good care of it. And I that lesson though was has stuck with me ever since. I mean, it's one of the most painful lessons to go through because what happened is all these um, all these moms. angry moms issued chargebacks, <laughs> angry moms, and then you know once your chargebacks get above one oh. percent from you know the, the merchant processor, the exception you know Visa, Mastercard, Amex on your behalf. <laughs> You, they'll shut you off. And so they literally just shut us off. Oh. And all of a sudden, remember I said we had no cash <laughs> right. in the bank and we were always, you know, overdraft charging? Well, now we really didn't have any cash made because orders would come in and money wouldn't get deposited. So it was just a cascade, like an and avalanche. And it was like an avalanche. Exactly. And that's probably wow. like the best way to describe it. And like within a month or two, the whole company I thought was going to be amazing was dead. Like just so quick and so tragic. I had a fire like, it's not funny. I know. I don't know why I'm like, it's just the way, yeah. I mean, it's so brutal. We got crushed. Oh, we got crushed under the avalanche. And it was sad because like a bunch of them were my good friends, you know, that I had to fire. And some of them took it well. They were like, dude, whatever. You gave it a good shot. You're like 20 years old. Who cares? <laughs> you know, other people were like, dude, this you know sucks. You screwed up. You're horrible. So I heard, and it was from you, I think. I remember the credit card issue, and and I see that's related to customer service, and there's a cash flow lesson, and then there was a focus lesson. Because uh, yes. didn't you start with just diapers, and then yeah. what happened? You could almost argue. <laughs> I mean, there's so many lessons when you fail, and that's one of the great things about failing. I mean, you just you really do learn a lot. I think the lesson that led to all the other lessons was the fact that I didn't focus. Yeah, absolutely. So. When I was started with baby products, had I focused on baby products, I might have a baby product empire today, which I'm not really sure <laughs> I'd want that. Right. I really like where I'm at. But, uh, you know, I probably would have been pretty successful because we had a really good start and there wasn't a lot of competition. And, you know, we we could have built a great business. But I got greedy. You know, I wanted to be into clothing and, and you know, computer products and everything else like that. And by lack of focus... That's what caused me, like I was so focused on growing and adding new product lines that I wasn't paying attention to the customers and, and a lot of things that would have made us the best baby product company would, would, you know, uh, we lost because we were working on other things. It's like, and I think I learned this from you actually, and maybe you said this on the podcast, but I use this a lot. Having a startup with very limited energy and money and people and everything else, you just don't have a lot of energy. You're like a five watt light bulb. You can barely light up a closet, right? And you're laughing because this did come from you. And and if you take so so you can't even light up a closet with five watts, light, right? But then if you take that same energy and you focus it to the point of the head of a pin, laser beam turns into a laser beam, <laughs> can cut right through steel. And I think that that analogy is perfect for a startup. The only thing you have to do to be successful is be better than just about everybody else at one thing. 
that's the only thing you have to do. It's simple, but it's not easy. It's incredibly hard because the world is so competitive nowadays. There's so many entrepreneurs. There's 7 billion people or maybe getting close to eight. A lot of those want to start their own business. A lot of them want to build the best chair. And if you want to build the best chair, you really got to work at it uh, a long time to get to become the best. But if you want to build the best chair and the best desk, well, now you're screwed. You just, you just put yourself into a situation that you're not likely to succeed at. So, you know, we, we were going to be great at baby products and then all of a sudden we tried to be good at everything else. And that lack of focus led to all, all the other problems, really. Today's episode is brought to you by audible.com. There are over 180,000 titles to choose from. If there's one thing I know, and I think Jim Rohn was the one who said this originally, in five years, the difference in your life will be largely based upon two things, the books you've read and the relationships you have fostered. Doesn't it make sense to take advantage of the downtime, whether you're on the road, on a run, in the gym, kill a couple birds with one stone, get a book going? It's phenomenal. It's I, The more people I turn on to it, the more uh, compliments I get. Not that I've actually done anything. 180,000 titles to choose from. You get one free book a month, 30% off. Any other book, again, check it out, audibletrial.com forward slash habits to goals. I'm going to say that again real quick, audibletrial.com forward slash habits to goals, and that is the number two. Okay, Johnny, so how does one kind of, (laughs) I keep laughing, but this is truly tragic, and when you say you're only 20, it's extraordinary, truly, that you got that far. And this sounds bad, but but it's almost like those would be the exact mistakes, really, that any 20-year-old would make. Like They would just not understand the value of cash flow and customer service, and they just get so focused. Like, I could see how that would happen. But going through, I'm sure... <laughs> And I gotta stop laughing. A totally <laughs> emotional downfall, right? Oh yeah. Very um depressing. very depressing. How do you uh somewhat succinctly, you know, pick yourself up and then how do we find ourselves in like what are you thinking going into another business? So so walk us through that mindset from from failure and depression to here we go again. Yeah. Talk to me. Talk well, to us. Well, first off, I think, you know, being 20 years old it probably had something to do with it. But I think a lot of first-time entrepreneurs make similar mistakes and ultimately shouldn't feel that bad about it. It's it's hindsight's 2020, right? It's obvious now the mistakes that are being made. But I remember a lot of people coming into the business and being like, Whoa, this is incredible. You guys have grown to two million dollars. Like all, you know, a lot of praise and all that good stuff. That's actually when I joined Entrepreneurs Organization. And, uh, and so, you know, a lot of people I think make that same mistake and I don't think, again, should feel, you know, at all bad for it. But yeah, so that led to the demise. The company failed, fired everybody, super depressed. But what happened is I, I had sort of come up with the next business idea while the whole thing was melting down. 
Because I had to. I mean, I didn't know how to get a regular job. And I'd already dropped out of college. So, Oh, you dropped yeah, out of college. I, I forgot to mention that part. Because <laughs> probably because of the success. Yeah, of, it, got, oh, it, it got too busy at some got point. It. You know, I think once I hired my first employee, I, I had to drop out. And so I dropped out of my junior year. So I didn't have anything really to go back to. And I just was a horrible employee all my life. I got fired from several jobs. So like Taco Bell and pizza, things like that. So ultimately we're failing. Uh, and, and I, I came up with this little tiny idea. It actually had happened like a month earlier. A lot of these things come to you as, as you're kind of working on your true purpose. I think the universe throws little, little things, your little nuggets your way. And my nugget was I was interviewing this person for a job and I asked them where they came from and they said I'd come from this insurance company and like what do you do? And it's like, well, we place this form online where people tell us what they want to get in terms of insurance. And we actually took that information and we sold it to four insurance companies who would compete to give them the best, the consumer the best insurance rate, but we would make twenty dollars off of each lead that we sold for free. And I was like, I was like, this is incredible because <laughs> I, I could build a website, right. no diapers, no shipping, no warehousing. And, uh, no, you know, upset pregnant women, uh, you know, <laughs> angry <rates>. pregnant moms <laughs> just like to be. seem like a better, right. you know, a simpler business model, <laughs> more streamlined. And so that's what I did. I built this. I didn't do it for insurance. I actually built it for, um, for home loans. So you could come onto this website. It was called federal equity. So it's a lead generation lead generation. Yeah, exactly. And you'd fill out this form saying what you were looking for in terms of a home loan. And then I would sell your information to four banks. They would all call you and compete to get you the best rate on home loan. So win for the consumer who gets multiple banks competing. Win for me because I get to sell that lead four times for maybe 20 bucks each, $80. And when I first started the business, I so like you mentioned, super depressed, super bummed. The next day I started working on this business. And I actually just built a website in Dreamweaver. The next day? The next day, yeah. The next day. Well, because I didn't have any money. So what was it like? Right, right. I guess (laughs) that'll keep you moving. Yeah. So, yeah, not a lot of time to wallow. But the lifespan of Baby's Heaven was two years, one year, a year and a half. I think it was like just around two years. And then the next day you realize there's an opportunity yeah. in lead generation. Yeah. Well, I kind because of been of thinking your... about it over, over the course of the demise of baby like <laughs> 60 days of hell. Cause everything's shutting right. down and oh, you know, firing oh, everybody brutal. and all this good stuff. Um, so I guess I was just kind of ready to launch it the, the next it. day. And, um, and it actually did really good, like from day one and it actually ended up being, it, it was pretty crazy. So the, the first day we made like, uh, like a couple hundred bucks. And I was like, holy cow. I ended up generating all these leads using the same internet marketing tactics I'd learned Got it. at the baby company. Got it. Got it. I applied those to this model and there was hardly any competition. And I think I generated like, I don't know, I don't know like 50 leads my first day. Hmm. And I was able to sell them. I only had one mortgage bank buying from me at the time. So I was able to sell them for like 20 bucks each. So I was able to make like a thousand dollars. And I was, and I think I paid like, so maybe even more than a couple, maybe I was close to a thousand. It was crazy. I was, I was making a lot of money like right away. I'm like, this is amazing. It <laughs> looks like an overnight Better success. than diapers. Way better than diapers. <laughs> Where and, there's an actual product. And yeah, and, and literally 90 days into that company, uh, I'm, I'll never forget it. Our third month, we made over a hundred thousand dollars in net profits. Me basically working in my boxers at home, just, marketing to this web form where people would fill out a lead and I would sell it to these banks and uh, everybody's happy. The banks loved it because they got leads. The consumers love getting great deals on home loans. And I loved making <laughs> money and not being broke. This is actually the first time that I got off top ramen. I'd been living off top ramen for, you know, two, two and a half years, however long the baby company was. And, uh, and all of a sudden I could, I could eat real food. 
And I literally like lived off Top Ramen like breakfast, lunch, dinner every day of the week, except maybe mac and cheese on Friday or something like that. So it was exciting. I remember I went to Sizzler for the first time. It was my first real restaurant, and that was pretty exciting. And then from there, you know, it it got to real, you know, nice restaurants, and everything changed. And that's that actually catches us up to the part of the story I told earlier, which was the cover showing up in a new car. My accountant was like, "Dude, you got to buy a new car (laughs) so you don't have to pay all these taxes." And back then, you could buy a heavy car and get a tax break. So I bought a, like, it was like a Hummer. It was embarrassing to say that now. It's not embarrassing. But this, this back in those days was was somewhat cool. <laughs> and I showed up at home uh, in in this car. My, you know, that's when my mom thought I was, you know, selling drugs. She's like, that baby company just collapsed. Like, <laughs> oh, how like are three you, months ago. How are you rolling in a like, Hummer? There's no way you can buy a new car. And I tried to explain it to her. My dad got it. He's always been very supportive. But she was she was very confused and skeptical of the whole thing. So that leads you to that company. <laughs> that company runs for three years, four years, and then you sell that company. Yeah. So um, four year process. Learned the lesson about focus, right? So we just stuck to mortgages, even wow. though we could have easily done insurance and debt consolidation. You could generate leads for a lot of different things. On so the you actually line. applied the lesson you learned. Applied that lesson. Wow. First, I applied all those marketing lessons, right? Those were very valuable. But then I applied the, the focus lesson and we took care of our customers. We made sure that our mortgage, <laughs> people that bought our leads were happy. And, Amazing. Um, you know, a lot of those lessons turned things around. So we grew to close to 100 employees here in the U.S. We had like a couple hundred over in uh, India. We, we ended up just <laughs> innovating on how to right. generate leads and tried call centers and all kinds of stuff. And then that you uh, there was a successful sale in what year? Yeah, so I think um, so. The baby company was like 2000 to 2002, and then this company was 2002 to like 2006. So we we sold it in March 2006. 2006 at the peak of the uh, mortgage or refinance boom. The so we, timing couldn't fortunate. have been perfect. I mean, it couldn't yeah. have been more perfect. Well, you right? know what's interesting about that? So everybody says that, and it's true. We did get very lucky there because I think the bottom fell out like three or six months later. <laughs> but but we we started to try to sell the company. Right. Two years prior to that. Right. So the, so from the day that I got the first call from the company that it ended up buying us, it was literally two years until the check hit the bank. That's so we thought the end was was near a lot sooner than it really was. And um, luckily, uh, you know, we, we, t- we, and, we got out in time. And you're 26-ish at the yeah, time. 26 or 27. And then that catches us up where we kick this off where, honestly, he's on – the cover of Fortune, small business in his trunks, sun setting, and he's holding a surfboard. So I want to get into, there's a really important principle. I've talked to you about this before, John, and I think it's so fantastic for people, all people, myself included, to to learn from. You applied this. It's It's not something necessarily that's even you apply. It's just something that kind of happens as long as you're moving forward. It's called the, Brian Tracy calls it the corridor principle. This idea that you go down a hallway or a corridor or a pathway and a door opens and then you go through it and you have to continue down the corridor and another doorway opens and you go through it and it just continues to happen. And there's two uh, parallels to this in your life. One is your career, right? You can see that as you go from baby's heaven to 
what is it called? Mortgage shop, client shop. Uh, client shop. And, and then now to even the, the, the companies you're in, I'm sure there's a way to connect those dots and follow that corridor. In your current business, it's called, help me. Empire. Empire. How do you spell that? E-M-P-Y-R. Okay. You guys might want to pull over, get out a pen and paper, because this is <laughs> going to be hard to follow. Prior to Empire, yes, it was called Mojo Pages. No. Oh, you're talking about Mogul. Yes. yes. How do you spell that? M O G L. M O G L. Misspellings. <laughs> well, those that's creativity They're at its cheaper best. That way. It, yeah, it's cheaper. So you can't get Empire as a domain name, but if you spell it differently, you probably can. That's right. I think so, like Empire Tire or something has that. So follow me, listener slash reader. The corridor principle. Today, his company is called Empire. E M P Y R. <laughs> Prior to that, it was Mogul, M-O-G-L, and he's going to explain all these transitions and changes, but it's a great example of the corridor principle. Prior to that, it was Mojo Pages. Mojo Pages. Prior to that, I'm just going to share a quick little story. So after he sells Client Shop and he's on the cover of a mag, he sends out an email to a bunch of buddies. Who wants to go surf Indonesia? on a surf charter and only one hand went up. <laughs> so that's yours truly. So I'm just taking a quick time out to say after he retired, it lasted a couple months. I, uh, he and I spent a week or so. What was it? It was, it Timor was Island? yes. Or was that Timor? The yeah. Timor, no, Timor. Timor. Yeah. So long and short of it is he comes back from, this surf trip and he realizes he's too young to be retired and he wants to start something new on the surf charter. At one point he borrowed my laptop. I almost want to say it's this one, but (laughs) there's no way it's this one. (laughs) He started writing all these notes in this business plan about Mojo pages. So in, because we're running shortage, short, Shortage, shortage, (laughs) short on time. Um, I want you to talk us through uh, kind of as quickly as you can without going too fast, like what your thought was for Mojo pages, how we end up with what's mogul. And then I know, well, just one at a time. Don't worry about time. Well, the the (laughs) promotional stuff on the businesses, I don't think is very important to the listeners, but I think what is kind of interesting is, so remember when I started at at seventeen or eighteen or whatever, and I'd, I'd look back at the beach and I was like, I want to, I want to start a business to make a whole bunch of money, and that was really my motivation. And you know, dreams do come true. I had the house <laughs> on the beach, and I ended up, you know, be- becoming you know sort of a millionaire. The uh, <laughs> that that while that seemed like that was my life, you know, dream, and I was so excited. I learned that lesson that you guys hear all the time. It's kind of uh, pretty standard nowadays, but. You know, I bought this nice house on the beach. I was looking out at the ocean and I, like you said, I was retired for like, you know, three months or whatever, just kind of working at home a couple hours to help transition the, the company that bought us, help transition our company into theirs and not really working a lot and loving it. And literally every day that goes by, and maybe it's not on a daily basis, maybe it's more weekly or monthly, but that the cool factor of the house and the excitement around the house just kind of dwindles over time. You know, you, you walk out, you look at the beach the first day you buy it and you're like, Woo! I made it. This is incredible. And it's really awesome. And you walk out and surf and have a great time. You know, six months later, you go, woo, 
this is great. You know, a year <laughs> later, you go, wee. You know, two years later, you go, ah. Three years later, you're like not even looking at the view anymore. And, and, and that's sad. And I always try to appreciate, you know, a beautiful ocean view and a house on the beach because, you, you, you know, you never want to take those things for granted. But it's just true. Material possessions don't have the same impact that they do when you first experience them. And we've all seen that. In fact, we're all guilty of it in one shape or another. Like, even if you live in sort of a somewhat crappy apartment, one bedroom, whatever, like I used to live in when, when I started my first company, that's pretty amazing to somebody who lives in a third world country in, you know, a shack or a teepee or something like that. They would come to your place and be like, whoa, this is amazing. You have running water, <laughs> you know? And, and so I think ultimately you just get used to things no matter how extravagant they are, you just get used to them. And, and ultimately <clears throat> when we did that surf trip together, that's where I really learned a valuable lesson about how to really, what to really start a company for. You know, I'd, I'd hit the goal. I'd had the money. I'd, I'd relaxed for about three months. Then we went on the surf trip and it was actually during in between the surf trips. So it was in between your trip and in a trip with a bunch of buddies that, um, that I was sitting on the beach. I think it was at that resort in, in Timor and there was like, you know, nothing was like fully built. It was kind of junky. Uh, and, and so I didn't have a lot to do. And I sat there and just had a couple days to myself. And I had this epiphany just sitting on the beach. Like I can't sit on the beach all day and just drink beer and surf. And it was really exciting, but it was just small little highs and lows. You know, oh, there's good surf. Oh, there's no surf. Oh, there's beer. <laughs> you know, oh, there's no beer. Right. You know, but 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 the highs and lows for an entrepreneurial journey are these extreme highs and these extreme lows. First, you have this amazing idea and you're going to change the world. And then you realize business is really freaking hard and, and it's all going to fail. And then you go back up and back down. And that ride is incredible. It's something that only an entrepreneur understands and gets to enjoy. And I realized that that's what I was born to do. And I realized that what really makes me happy and fulfilled is following that journey, but not just doing it for the ups and downs, doing it for the potential positive impact that you can make by starting a business. Um, you employ people. Maybe your business helps other businesses employ people. Maybe your business actually helps people directly. But either way, you're going to be making a positive impact in one way, shape, or form. And the bigger the impact the more thrilling the ride. And that was it for me. That's when I realized I'm never going to retire. I don't care if I'm 90 years old and I'm never doing it for the money ever again. And, and that changes a lot. And I think it changes a lot in a good way because you start to focus on the impact and the money actually follows, but even more money follows because, uh, because the focus is in the right place. So speaking of impact in, and because I set up this whole corridor principle, because I think that's an important lesson, what you just said, and I'm glad you shared it, but, but I want to follow this thought. So you wanted to make an impact with yeah. Mojo Pages. Yes. And Mojo Pages was simply, basically, it was going to be a review site, right? Like, Yeah, uh, yeah it was, the idea was to um, help people find good local businesses by uh, opening up a platform where people could rate and review the local businesses. Perfect. Basically, Yelp. And, and so that does fairly well and it keeps moving. And then all of a sudden, I wouldn't say we, it does. Well, <laughs> well, it does. Okay. Yeah. It doesn't do great. But so we had to come up with a new idea or something better or something. That okay. Would, you know, that and, would, and that next idea was, that was uh mogul mogul. Yeah. And what was the idea behind mogul? And mogul was the idea that um, kind of 
restaurant rewards programs and coupons and all that stuff was just so outdated that nowadays with smartphones and other technologies like the ability to link rewards sure. up to a credit or a right. debit card, you know, the data was all there. You could get rid of coupons, you could get rid of punch cards, you could build a really kick-ass rewards program. Um that could that could be pretty powerful and really fun. We were I was really into game gamification and right. game mechanics back then. Uh, and still, I'm I still am a big fan, but back then I was super passionate about it. So that seemed like a fun project. No, and that was a fun project. And what I'm getting at is, so it started as this game. The reason it was called Mogul, if I remember correctly, is so you could be, you or I could be the mogul, like own a restaurant if I ate ate there the most. Yep. And people could see that, oh, Martin, Martin's been here. He's got the most points. And that was very gamified, as you yeah. say. Then it took on a different iteration where it became like a meal for a meal. And you talk about impact. So it went from this competitive thing where I own the restaurant that you go to, to now if I buy a meal, I'm actually donating a meal. And and you guys had huge impact there. Mogul gave like how many, like a million meals or something. About a million meals. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, when you start a business for the right idea and with the right mindset, you don't always know what the impact is going to be at the end of the day. And, and you're right. I mean, the corridor, I walked down the corridor with this cool, fun kind of like gamification thing. And I ended up hearing a speech by Blake Mikowski, who, who founded Tom's Shoes. And that really inspired me around this one for one kind of notion, like give something to somebody who needs it when somebody, when a customer buys something from you. And so you could use Mogul and go to a restaurant and earn cash back. Uh, very easily without coupons or anything, just using a debit or credit card. And then you would donate, it would automatically donate a meal to somebody in need through the food bank system in America. And it was, uh, yeah, it was pretty cool. About a mil- million meals so far. And, and we're still, still rocking it. That is phenomenal. More. And Mojo Page is still rocking too. Just somebody yeah. else is running it. And that's right. So, and then that leads you to Empire. Yeah. Which is. In some ways, a derivative. It's the underlying technology of what was kind of driving Mogul, right? I mean, it was. So, elaborate on that. Yeah, so we built this really cool technology at Mogul in order to get rid of coupons. Like I said, you could just link up any debit or credit card in your wallet. You link it up to the mobile app or the website. And then from then on out, you just use that debit or credit card, any debit or credit card you already have, and it would automatically generate you know rewards when you went to these participating restaurants. Well, what we've done with that is really, again, kill kill coupons, I guess, in a sense. And that that technology we'd now with Empire, we've just made that available to anybody. And so if anybody, you know, listening owns a website or an app that has consumers that are, you know, using their website or app, uh, they can tap into our platform. Well, it's like an API or something? Yeah, exactly. Wow. It's got an API and they can tap into it and they can uh, generate revenue by offering deals to their consumers, like 10% cash back at a restaurant, but we're also bringing in a bunch of national advertisers like Home Depot and Whole Foods and all that kind of stuff. So you can offer your visitors, hey, get 10% cash back at local restaurants and Whole Foods, et cetera. All you have to do is link up your debit or credit card to our app. And then when the consumer does that and you use our API for the card linking to it, then they walk into the restaurant and make a purchase. The consumer gets 10% cash back, comes right back onto their card, shows up under your name, under your website, your app name. So you just paid them cash, which is pretty awesome. Um, and you, the rest, the, you know, the website of the app owner, you make money off every transaction, usually around something like two or 3%. Uh, 
uh, as a reward for getting the consumer to link up their card and go to that business. It's called an online to offline platform. Anybody with an online presence can drive people into the real world, the offline world, to make a purchase. The consumer gets rewarded. They make some money. It's a great little um, revenue channel. But, for but nobody businesses. or very few people are doing that. Like you guys kind of broke ground on this because yeah. everybody understands the online to online. Like I see a banner, I click, I end up at the website, I buy something that's easy to track. Yep. But really, Empire and the technology there is taking something you see online or on your phone and then somehow <laughs> through magic, it knows that when you, you've not only seen something online, but you've bought something offline on their premise. That's right. In-store purchases. In-store yeah. purchase. Well, we made it happen because we did a deal with Visa, MasterCard, and Amex. If you think about it, you could track somebody online because you have cookies and all those kind of stuff. Uh, all the way through to an offline purchase, you have all the data on the offline purchase too if you're using a debit or credit card. So all the data is there. There just hasn't been anybody to bring it together. And ultimately, you know, 93% of all commerce still happens in stores or physically out in the real world. 93%. 93%. Only 7% is on Amazon and everybody's (laughs) website, right? Like Nordstrom's has a website. 95% of their commerce still happens in their stores. And that's, that's really true across the board. So it's a huge opportunity. Uh, one I didn't plan on tapping into, which the corridor principle right there. I mean, I, I, if you told me three years ago I'd be doing this or maybe five years ago, I would have said like, well, that's interesting. I, uh, are you sure I would be doing that? Like I'm into gamification right, right. now. You're, 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 you're working on a game to see yeah. who's going to be the mogul of the restaurant. Yeah. And, and fighting it's hunger. Incredible. And, right. And then it just kind of, it, it came around, but I'm really. So hey, if I, really if I see that. a Nordstrom's ad on my phone. Yeah. And then I walk in and I buy something. Yeah. Somehow empires. Well, you'll see. So let's say it was on your yep. blog, right? Yep. The habit factor. Yep. You would, let's say you knew your consumers loved Nordstrom's. That was your Got type it. of people. You could, from us, use our API, pull in a Nordstrom's offer, show it any way you wanted to. Mm-hmm. You could put it in your blog. You could put a link to it. You could put whatever. And it would say, get whatever, 10% cash back at, at Nordstrom's. Your users will click on it. This all stays on your blog. It says, hey, link up your debit credit card. There's no coupon. Just link a card and then go and pay. They link up their card. They literally walk into the store and they just buy something just like they normally do. The consumer wouldn't have to do anything. They don't have to show their phone. They don't have to say, hey, I'm, I'm on the discount program. It's Got totally it. discreet. So they register the card. Once they register Bingo. the card, that's it. They just go in and buy. And then like literally within 10 seconds of buying, they get an alert from you. Come, hey, the Habit Factor Rewards Program. You just earned, you know, $27. You're welcome. And that money goes right back onto any debit or credit card they want. Um, Sweet. You get so, a free habits course. Yeah. And, you know, and you make three bucks. <laughs> right. Which, you know, you can keep or give back to well the crazy thing is we're getting short on time so i'm gonna end up inviting you back i don't know if it's season two or season three but there are some closing questions we got to go through i had visions of talking about necker and chess and things like that but we're (laughs) probably yeah we're probably not going to have that time you know we have another really good story too about (laughs) selling the company uh, and the and the twelfth hour pullout. So again, we are short on time as we round this puppy out. Uh, <laughs> I want you off the top of your head. Give me three key mindsets that the entrepreneur, or really, just the, you know, what I don't want to do with this podcast really is exclude somebody who's you know got a nine to five job and a, and a career because I think this appeals to 
everybody. We're we're talking about habits to achieve your goals and mindsets and and what I'm getting at here is you have you've I've seen some of the very something else we didn't really get into like the darkest darkest day um but mindsets that you have to have to carry you through those challenging times. There's a great quote, uh, Gabby Douglas, the Olympic gold medalist. She said, hard days are the best because that's where champions are made. I put that in the pressure paradox. And, and I believe because she's so wired like that, that that wasn't prepared. Like she just answered that spontaneously. My question to you spontaneously is what, what are those key three mindsets or five? I mean, there's, there's without too much pressure. Yeah, there's one big one that gets me through the darkest of darkest of days, and it's the ability to see something in the future, uh, even just a little glimmer of hope, a light that, at the end of the that tunnel. light at the end of the tunnel. And and if you can see that, and you know that if I can just get there, this is going to be great. And I know there's a, that's a long way away and all that good stuff, but you can see that vision and just hold on to that hope. That's been incredibly powerful. In fact, it's probably been the only way I've made it through multiple, multiple pivots at, at each company is just keeping my eyes focused on that. Because if you focus on the here and now, right. you're you're probably going to give up. That's genius. And and it's funny. The word pivot really almost connotates the corridor yeah. <laughs> principle. Okay. So having said that, give me uh, two or three of your best habits that really have driven and helped to create your success. Yeah. Well, well, the funny one is, is my dad always used to think I was so lazy as a kid. <laughs> I would like take an hour and a half to mow the lawn. I would take a break to drink some soda and I'd listen to my music. And, you know, he was just like, you're so lazy. You're just never going to amount to anything. And, uh, you know, and he's right. And actually laziness can be a good habit, believe it or not. The, and the reason is, is because the reason I'm, you know, 17 years into the entrepreneur journey and I'm so full of energy in life is because I never burnt myself out. I was lazy. On the weekends, I would relax and have fun and go enjoy myself and be with friends. And there's times where you have to work through the weekends, but I wouldn't do it all the time. And a lot of entrepreneurs that do work themselves to the bone like that, they burn out quick. Uh, one company, two company, they're done and... They just want to go sit on a beach and they'll realize when they've been on that beach for a couple of years and they're still burnt out that, that that's not a great life either. So ultimately, you want to stay in the game. Work you hard stay and in the game, play hard. Work hard, play hard, relax hard. You got to add the relax hard. Okay. That's important. And then, then the two habits that I've had recently that I think I'm like super psyched about and they're relax kind of pushing hard. me to a whole new level is every morning, I've, I think you've got to find your time in the day where you can just think. And really do important strategy, thought process. And some people, this is a morning. Some people, it's night. Doesn't matter when it is. Mine happens to be the morning, and I figured that out finally after 17 years. Um, and and what I do in the morning is I wake up at like six o'clock. I don't have to be work till nine. We start a little bit later, and so I from like six to seven thirty. I I just take the time. I don't I don't look at email. I don't do anything that would start to distract my brain. I let my brain wake up and do what it wants to do and think about what it wants to think about. And I just solve some of the biggest problems in the, in the morning. And then I, and then after I do that, I do this seven minute workout, <laughs> Can you not, seven minutes, seven minute abs. And, uh, I was, I was joking to my girlfriend today, actually, because I'm starting to show a little bit. I've been doing it for about a year and a half. I'm starting to show a little bit of six pack. He's got a two pack. And, and I, and I sent her a photo. I said, 
seven minutes of hell to give you six bumps of heaven <laughs> for the six pack. <laughs> right. Dun, dun, and uh, so ultimately that that's actually made me feel a million, like a million bucks exercising every day. And, and I can't do the gym thing. I'm just like over that. But seven <laughs> minutes, I can do that. And it's all exercises you do with your body. So you don't need equipment. And then the last thing I do after exercise is I go, I shower, I get ready. Before I head out to work, I do 10 minutes of meditation on this app called Headspace. And that just allows me to calm myself, get in the right mindset, say different mantras that, you know, I want to try to focus on as, as a person to make me better. And so the whole thing of just waking up, doing the important strategy stuff when my brain's the freshest, then working out, then getting ready and meditating, I'm like so much more energized the work day. I wish I knew this 10 years ago or 15 years ago. I probably would be, I know I would be a lot further along in my entrepreneurial journey. So those things have been huge. Some of this stuff only comes with age. That's right. Um, how do you define success? I think success is where you've gotten as close to balance as possible, and it's very difficult to do, and where you're working on something that you just really love. And even if you love it, there's going to be crappy times and dark days and all that good stuff. But if you've really found something that you really enjoy doing, um, and you've got some form of balance in your life where your friends and your family, your relationships are in a good spot and your business is in a good spot. It just doesn't get much better than that. I've found in my life that those times are fleeting and few and far between. And it usually comes, you, you'll hit that part, that nirvana and that success. And then you'll kind of get back into this. You're not really doing that much good stuff and things aren't going great. And then you'll get back to success. So I don't think success is a you've achieved it. I think success is a you 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 reach it and then you lose it and then you reach it and you lose it and you reach it and lose it. It's an ongoing effort. It's the classic journey. Yes, not and the it's destination. It's not about the destination. That's right. So that's beautiful, and I kind of want to high five you here because I remember many years ago, you. I, I can hear you saying balance is bogus, and and you had this mindset, and and it is. It is if a person has a black and white uh, kind of viewpoint. Like you look at great successes and you see that there was a point where they're, you know, full out charging, mm -hmm. right? Which I think is fine if you oscillate and then you find. So you go from one end to the other end in the middle is the balance. So, so it's just having the awareness to change it up. And I love – you know, the, the habit factor of parent company is called equilibrium. So oh, I, nice. I just love that. So you know, that's just, a great definition. You know, I just remembered, I got to tell your listeners this. We'll talk about this next time. But you guys might not know this, but me and Marty <laughs> surfed a 35-foot wave together oh, in Mexico. He was my tow partner. He saved my life, believe it or not. Uh, he also almost killed me. We'll talk, we'll talk all about to this the story. story. Yes. yes, this is going to be the good one for next time. That no, is a great no time one. today. Oh my that, god! You might not know that. So he I'm going to write this down real quick. Branson, big wave, and then the twelfth hour, twelfth hour pull out. Yep. And then we'll add shady. some other stuff. There's some so new quickly a uh, a quick. Well, not a quick book. A great book. Either you're reading or something that's Ooh. transformational. I know. John is I brilliant. Love, love books. He is absolutely brilliant. He reads so many books, so it's probably hard to pick one or two. But but 
either give the reader something you're reading now or something that's just fresh yeah. on your mind. That's I'm, awesome. I'm reading a book now that I'm really loving. It kind of sets the bar. Well, I'll give you two. I'll cheat. The first one, Elon Musk biography. He is the best entrepreneur ever in the history <laughs> of the love world. That guy. <laughs> so definitely read his. It'll it'll make you feel like a loser, but that's okay. Just read it and try to get to his we'll, level. We'll get him on the show. The second thing <laughs> is uh, I'm just reading this book right now called The Score Takes Care of Itself. It's yes. Bill Walsh and his coaching style. So disciplined, so impressive, so intelligent. I really was inspired by that book. That's from John Wooden. That's his quote. Pretty awesome. The score takes care of itself. I haven't read it, so I love it. And I love uh, Walton. All right. I wonder if Wooden stole it from Walsh or Walsh did it from Walton. No, 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 no. So Walton played for Wooden. Ah. Yeah. So everything Walton teaches you, he learned from Coach Wooden. Gotcha. No, it's Walton, not Washa. Yeah. Great book. So uh, you, I think you answered this, but maybe not. A great app, website, tool, something you can't do without. You mentioned Headspace. Seven minute app and Headspace app. Okay, perfect. Those two apps run my morning, and Headspace they're awesome. Energy throughout the day, thanks to those two bad boys. And energy is hard to come by. All right, I think we're out of time. So, anything you want to, a parting shot, a parting word, how people can find you. I'm going to have all sorts of links. Anything you want to promote, share, tell people about. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if you guys have a website or app, you know, yeah, there you go. on Empire. We've got a great revenue channel, you know, for for anybody. Um, I don't know. I just I just think it's, you know, a lot of people see the end result and they just think it was easy and you know and now you're some rich jerk who just has a bunch of money and it's so easy for you but it's not like that at all and the more people i i talk to and and learn from the more they've all had a hard time and so if you're in the middle of a hard time uh you're not alone i mean everybody either is there or has been there i just went through two two and a half years of crap uh co-founders quitting cfo quitting all, all the sales team quitting. I mean, as about as dark as you could get, even 16, 17 years into this, where you think I would have a pretty good understanding of how to run a business. A business is hard, has all kinds of ups and downs, and you can't plan for it. You just got to be resilient and never give up, as cheesy as that sounds, um, and keep learning because you need to learn so much. That's a never-ending cycle. But if you do stay resilient and you do keep learning, it feels so good to come out of those dark times. And actually, you're appreciative for the dark times because the up times just feel that much more amazing because it was hard. If it was easy, probably wouldn't be as fun when you win. Well, first of all, that's an unbelievable way to end this. And I will just say that I have had the privilege and honor to be in a business group with John for about 10 years. And I can tell you in all sincerity that I've never seen, I don't think, anybody work harder and just adjust and be more courageous. I mean, you know, it's one thing to start a business. It's another thing to start a business and raise a lot of money. And raising a lot of money is not, any money is not easy. And at one point, I mean, I don't know if you want to share this. Oh, yeah. We've raised the $35 million so far. <laughs> $35 million. So now I want you to hit the back 30-second or 10-second, hit it a few times, and listen to that last, those last few sentences from him. There are no guarantees. 
It's hard work, and thanks, John. That was beautiful. Thanks for having me, Marty. Good it to see was you, bud. awesome. Great to see you. Thanks for coming into the studio. Absolutely. Say goodbye to the listener Asta. slash reader. Asta. Asta. Bye. That's going to wrap it up. Just a quick reminder before we blow out of here. If you have not yet received your free habit tracking slash building template and you want to get it really quick, like instantaneously, you can go ahead and text me at 33444 and just simply text the word habits. That's right, habits to 33444.